Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Needs, Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing the fifth episode of the second season of The White Lotus on HBO and HBO Max, an episode called That's Amore. Before we get into that, I wanted to mention that uh, welcome, by the way, if you're new listeners, we've had a lot of new listeners week to week on these podcasts, The White Lotus podcasts, as well as uh, on the peripheral, uh, our other show that we're covering week to week, which is wrapping up this very week. And finally, I'll be also discussing the finale of the show Andor with a couple of co-hosts, uh, Nick and Ray, who come on to do these more fanboy type shows with me usually. And finally, after the holidays and everything, they are ready to have the conversation about a show that we enjoyed very much. Sona, I know Joel is somewhat of a Star Wars fan. Has he watched Andor? Somewhat of a Star Wars fan. Have you guys <laughs> met? <laughs> we have. He many times. Um <laughs> No, he's very much a Star Wars fan. He very much enjoyed Andor. And I, while I've heard good things about it, you know, there's very little that can get me into the sci-fi world. <laughs> but I understand it's really, really excellent and one of the best Star Wars franchise productions from, from what I hear. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to waste too much time here on it because <laughs> you're not really that interested. Yeah, in I have nothing to say. <laughs> here it's good. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 exceptional. It's from uh, Tony Gilroy and Dan Gilroy. Uh, Dan Gilroy is the writer of Nightcrawler, which we discussed here mm -hmm, on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And his brother is uh, the creator of the Bourne movies. Uh, what's that movie with George Clooney, where he's a, a lawyer, a fixer? Oh, Michael Clayton. Michael one of the Clayton. best movies ever. Exactly. So you may actually be interested in it because this is a show, surprisingly, Sona, that uh, which is what I love so much about it, <clears throat> that is about the bureaucracy of running the empire. And that sounds almost like it could be like a skit on Saturday Night it does. Live. It sounds like a comedy. <laughs> right. The paperwork. It, oh my gosh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's really fascinating because it shows you, first of all, that the forming, like how would the rebellion actually form? These are all these people who are in it, like you would expect in the real world, that some of these people are in it just for the money. Some people are just in it because they have, they're at the end of their ropes. They're all at cross purposes with each other and somehow have to form a rebellion. Meanwhile, the people they're fighting these um the empire yes they're these you know faceless stormtroopers but more importantly and especially in the context of this show they are these people who have careers it, like you would expect people who work within bureaucracies they don't actually know that they're oppressing other people they are simply um you know doing their jobs day to day and trying to climb that ladder and uh you know these people are uh, these re uh, rebels are committing terrorist uh, attacks basically against them right so it kind of plays it all out in very realistic terms and uh, it's really incredible, like the the, the density of the show. Uh, and also, I make it sound like it's dry and boring. It's not. It's very entertaining, but definitely darker and more mature than other Star Wars properties. But uh, it's it's excellent. It's, and I do hope people get to catch up on it. The ratings have not been good compared to some of the previous Star Wars properties. But I think word of mouth has been so strong that people will eventually catch up on it. Uh, another thing that we'll be covering in that episode is uh, the very entertaining Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special that just premiered last week. And uh, it's very lightweight, as you would expect, but I wanted to mention it to you, Sona, only because the plot of that show is that the Christmas present that the Guardians of the Galaxy decide to, to bring for Peter, who's homesick and not being on Earth at the time, is to kidnap Kevin Bacon <laughs> and bring them. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you're a big Kevin Bacon fan. <laughs> huge, huge. For some inexplicable reason. <laughs> but yes, Kevin Bacon is a real sport. And he, of course, is uh, you know central to the whole plot of the film, which is only like 45 minutes long. If you decide to watch it, 
uh, that's definitely an appeal for you. Kira Cedric does make a cameo via phone call <laughs> as well. Ah, oh, that's nice. And lastly, speaking of Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick, I was mentioning that on the most recent episode of the podcast, I also announced a bunch of Black Friday deals, which are still active right now to sign up for a year of streaming services at incredibly low prices. Uh, a lot of these companies are not going to survive another year or so, to be honest with you, considering <laughs> how much they're bleeding cash. So you might want to lock in these cheap prices because it might be the last time you get them. If they survive, their prices are going to get much, much higher. Paramount Plus would be, you know, not that I'm getting paid by these people, but I do recommend that $2 a month for the Paramount Plus service. For you, Sona, you know, your son watches some of the Nickelodeon content. You get that for free. More importantly than that, uh, if you haven't seen Top Gun, for example, the new Top Gun film, which was a phenomenon when it came out this summer. Uh, it's about to premiere in a few weeks. But of course, also a very entertaining horror movie that I think you would like very much called Smile, starring, yes. way, here's this, the interesting connection, starring uh, Kira Sedgwick and Kevin Bacon's daughter. So she's actually oh. the star of that film. So another connection to things we've covered here on the show. If you like The Ring, this kind of is in the mold of that. And like I mentioned, most people know about this movie because if you're a horror fan at all, this is probably the biggest horror blockbuster that's been around for a few years now outside of maybe the conjuring franchise oh and one more thing i'd recommend to you on paramount plus is the good fight which just ended by the way so that show's now finally over after five seasons i believe uh, and had an excellent final season as a very entertaining soap opera ish uh, sometimes surreal courtroom drama i think you would appreciate it because it uh, kind of ties in with some of the shows you've liked in the past so i definitely recommend that one one of the best shows we've had in the past five or six years. And I do think that, and it just wrapped up recently. So an opportunity to catch up on that. And uh, Joel, if he wants to catch up on the Star Trek shows, the Picard series is having its final season. You guys might want to consider resubscribing to Paramount Plus. I mean, $2 a month is a pretty good deal. I can't deny that. If uh, you are new to the show and you want to support the show, give us a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice. Drop us an email at any time. Need some introduction at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback. Let us know if you want to include your comments in the show. We'll include you. And another way you can support the show is just listen to some of our back catalog, some of the shows we've covered here. Succession, which is coming back in a few months. Uh, Yellow Jackets, which is coming back in just a few months. Mayor of Easttown and Severance, which is still our most popular series here on the podcast. Some of you have been catching up on our back catalog. I've been watching the downloads. <laughs> Oh, and of course, Better Call Saul, which I think is coming to Netflix in January. So if you do catch up on Better Call Saul's most recent and final season, we have full coverage of that season here in the podcast as well. Okay. So with that all out of the way, let's talk about this most recent episode of the show. That's Amore. We kick things off and I think we have to walk through this plot. I was thinking last week, a very middle type episode was relatively light on plot this episode, I feel like a lot of things are coming together. A lot. <laughs> I think partially very much leaning into this murder mystery here. Most of these are probably going to turn into red herrings. They may not all pay off uh, as far as tying into these deaths that we saw at the beginning of the show, but they're definitely going to pay off character-wise. So much happening. <laughs> so much, yes. So we, much. Yeah. And I have a disclaimer. Yeah. As much as I try to not read anything about the mm -hmm. show so it doesn't influence me, I wandered onto Twitter yes. after watching this and I was unwillingly subject to some theories about the yes. show that are now inside my head. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I can share them here or not. We can you know, discuss when we get to that point. 
Oh, yes. I actually want to. I think you're going to talk about the exact same theory that I'm going to talk about. Okay. I have two things in my mind. So I'm cons- oh, great. I'm very curious about which one you're referring to, but we will get there. Okay. So we begin. Albie and Lucia are having sex. Uh, it's early morning. We also see that Portia is waking up with Jack. She gets a call from Tanya, which tells her that, uh, I hope you have some cute things to wear. And uh, Portia says, yes, I do. And uh, Tanya's like, do you? Do you though? <laughs> <laughs> she tells her that the gays have invited them out to Palermo and they're going to getting there via yacht. Pretty nice. And what a beautiful shot of Portia on the balcony yes, um, yes. at the end, right? Wasn't that gorgeous? Yes. Ethan wakes up, and as we expected at the end of last week, he wanders to the bathroom, finds the rapper. Importantly, Harper is already awake. I, either she was intentionally waking up for this moment, because she knows he wakes up early in the morning for his run, and she wanted to be awake here, or she's just been tossing and turning all night, and uh, she's wide awake, waiting for him to discover the rapper in the bathroom. His reaction to this, he's like saying, what is this? She tells him, you know, basically has to corner him into confessing finally. And then he says, it wasn't me. I just sat there. I just watched. I don't remember. This one girl tried to kiss me, but I pushed her away. And she gets really mad. And he goes, why are you still mad at me? Basically, once again, this gaslighting is what drives me nuts about this whole relationship. And she says, I gave you every chance yesterday and you didn't say anything to me. And then he starts saying, that uh, you should feel good about this. You should feel good about this. I had this opportunity and I turned it away. So <laughs> how did you feel about all these interact this interaction? Last week, I was more anti-Harper yes. and pro-Ethan. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yes. This week, oh my gosh, he handled this so poorly. <laughs> yes, he handled yes. this so poorly. I mean, I understand the point of what he was saying, but the ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. Now is the time to mm-hmm. like, throw yourself (laughs) to her mercy and beg her to understand rather than have this standoffish, I didn't do anything wrong and you need to understand this attitude (laughs) because the time to do that was if you were going to come out right away, explain what happened. Mm -hmm. Now that she has caught you in a lie, even though you keep insisting you didn't lie, as she points out, but you did. Right, (laughs) right, exactly. If this is an example of the dynamic in their relationship, it's clear that this relationship has some serious problems, I think. I mean, I understand he's being defensive. I understand why he's being defensive, but it's a very clear failure to read the room. What we see overtly here was what was frustrating me about him yesterday, last week, where that's why I was unwilling to defend him. Last week, I thought it was a fine risk to take. Mm Mm-hmm you know, to play it that way. But you have to know when you take that risk, if it all comes out, what are you going to do? Right. That's when you have to throw yourself at her mercy. (laughs) He didn't, he didn't make that choice. And then I was like, well now, so you played this hand completely wrong, Ethan. Um, And, you know, he, this reaction sets into motion her behavior Mm -hmm. for the rest of the episode, which is pretty extreme at times. Yes. Yes. Agreed. (laughs) First of all, she does come up with the rationale that we both agreed with last time that he's saying, well, I didn't want to tell you right now because you would overreact. I, that was the worst part about it, that he's not saying like, I just wanted to keep the waters calm until we left. I was definitely going to tell you when we got on the plane, like you had kind of mentioned, he still has to take it too far and be like, well, I knew you were going to overreact 
Overreact. What do you mean overreact? Yes. <laughs> She's li- you've lied about this whole thing. What are you talking about? Overreacting. Yes. So. And I mean, I, I don't get the impression they're living a lifestyle where taking Molly and <laughs> right. being with prostitutes is like <laughs> not casual. such a big deviation right. from the norm right. that you'd be like, yeah, these things happen. I mean, most people would say <laughs> you did what now? Right. And then the Molly came out later. I mean, there was so much that he handled poorly about this. Yeah, if you worked at the like Wolf of Wall Street offices, you know, in his regular day to day life, but I mean, that's not uh, that doesn't seem to be his pattern. So, so then we cut back to Albie and Lucia, and uh, he didn't realize that he was sleeping with a hooker. Obviously, as we kind of knew. Oh, so painful. A, a couple of things before we get into your reaction to it, because this is a really fascinating scene. Just to see the performer, uh, this woman who's playing Lucia, excellent performance across the board on this show but how conflicted she is in this whole interaction and trying to figure out what her feelings are there because of what happens throughout the rest of this episode. But before we get to that, I did want to call out the fact that we now know her rate. It's $2,000 a night. Exactly. (laughs) So this is the mystery solved from last week. Yes, Cam owed her, only had 1,800 euros for her 2,000. But of course she had Mia as well. So you know, I'm sure the negotiation would be some sort of surcharge. <laughs> As a matter of fact, uh, we actually know, right? Because she says you owe me thirteen hundred dollars, which is you right. know, thirteen hundred euros. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. which is what um, she actually explicitly calls out for. So anyway, last week we were confused as to what was the rate or the currency or whatever. Now we know. More importantly, what is your reaction to this whole interaction between her and Albie at this moment? And and how did you read her expression and her pained reaction to all of this? I went on a ride with the Lucia yes, character. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had thought when Dominic kind of canceled on her, yeah. I said, well, this is very poor uh, business management from her. She should say, well, I didn't book anybody else. So still, you still need to pay me. And when she didn't do that, I thought, oh, she's like, there's some naive aspect to her character. Right. Like, okay, you want out, you can have out. I'm not going to try and hold you to anything. But here, all of a sudden, she turns into this, in my mind, like this shrewd businesswoman who Mm -hmm. knows how to play people to get what she wants. You know, I do think she may genuinely like Albie. I think in the way a stripper may genuinely like somebody she's (laughs) giving a lap dance to, (laughs) right? Um, You know, there are probably, you know, nicer people and not as nice people. (laughs) But in the end, it's still a job. I read this as like a very shrewd way of working him. To your point about having this ride with her, I feel like at the beginning, she's almost awkwardly asking him for the money. And then at first, it feels like she really doesn't know how to broach the subject. She kind of knows. And she may actually have real feelings for him at the same time. But then by the end of that same interaction, when she says, well, there's this you know pimp that I need to pay off, which I don't think is true. Then I, you have start to, yeah. I have questions. Mm-hmm. I have questions. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I start to think that, you know, she is manipulating him there. But more importantly, and she at one point is just sitting and thinking. And Mia walks up to her and says, like, what's wrong? What are you thinking about? And she starts saying, I'm starting to think I may not get punished after all. She had kind of mentioned last mm-hmm. week, mm-hmm. and is speaking of like religious imagery in the last week's episode, that she thought that maybe they're going to get punished for their sins. And now she's starting to think, well, maybe I won't get punished. At that moment, I thought, well, maybe she's thinking about, hey, maybe this he's my my meal ticket in a way. Maybe he, I can have a relationship with this guy and get even more from him via that type of relationship. Speaking of paralleling, maybe Daphne and Cam, for example, a quid pro quo. But then uh, there's so much more manipulation that happens over the course of the episode that I feel like 
she has some kind of plan to scam either Dom or Albie or both of them <laughs> out of their money. One of the theories, like you mentioned, that's kind of been bandied about on the internet and really I think is unignorable at this point is this idea that everybody in the show is scamming somebody. Is that one of the theories you were talking about? No, actually. Oh, okay, good. Well, then we have even more theories to talk about. <laughs> yeah, this is a new one. I'm very interested in it. Yeah, so the theory's been going around apparently for weeks, and I just caught on to it last week, that Cam and Daphne are broke. And oh, they yeah, are... I've heard this theory. You've heard I'm this one, not right? a big believer in this one, but let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know what? I don't believe that either, by the way. I don't believe that they're broke. Mm -hmm. But what I do believe, what, what kind of the kernel of truth in there is that I do think that the show is about how even within the upper classes, we were just talking about how exhausting <laughs> the world is. I have this saying to my wife that every time I walk out the door, I feel like someone's sticking their hand in my pocket. And it's just like, everybody's always trying to sell me something at every minute of the day. It is just exhausting, utterly exhausting. It's kind of a sign of the times that that's how people make their money. And even these rich people are all basically uh, rich and at the same time, need more leverage at all times. Mm -hmm. And this is part of the play that's occurring here. So it is Cam and Daphne trying to work into Ethan's good graces because he has money and they want to manage his money or Cam does. And Daphne may be playing some game here as well and manipulating them to the same ends. But of course, we have to talk about, uh, and we'll get around to it, that there's obviously a con being attempted here on Tanya. Mm -hmm. it, well, it certainly seems like something is not what it seems. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And lastly, of course, you know, since we're on a topic, uh, another example of someone trying to increase their standing by pulling some other kind of con or some kind of manipulation. Again, obviously, Lucia, who is as a sex worker is, you know, that's her bread and butter. But the question is that, is she just an honest broker here or until now an honest broker compared to these other people who are also <laughs> trying to ask for payoffs uh, for status, for example, and they're all just doing the same thing. And like I said, Lucia just up until now has been above boards about it, but maybe now she, she's saying, hey, there's much bigger there's a much bigger game here that I can be playing. By the end of this episode, I just had a completely different view of Lucia, um, that she is much shrewder than I gave her credit for. Yeah. I do have questions about this pimp story. Yes, I do too. <laughs> this Alessio situation, which at first I was sure was made up. And then by the mm -hmm. end of the episode, I was not sure it was made up. So much uncertainty after this episode. <laughs> Tell me if you agree with this or not. I feel like this is not her normal behavior. When you see her being contemplative out in the courtyard or by the poolside in the morning, uh, by the way, it's funny when he heads out, she heads out and Cam and Ethan don't want to make eye contact with them. Uh, Albie smiles, but Dom's uncomfortable. So it, it was just very funny. That whole walk out in the morning, she's like a disruptor just from walking across the patio. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I did find it interesting when you see her really thinking uh, by herself. I don't think that this is her new normal behavior. I think this is the first time that she's kind of thinking like there might be a bigger game here. And unfortunately, I'm just going to call out my death list here. I just feel like she has an even bigger target on the back now at the end of this mm -hmm. episode. Like I mentioned, Cam and Ethan, they avoid this eye contact with her as they walk by. Daphne, I believe, brings up this winery trip to Mount Etna. Ethan just proving himself to be a bigger and bigger shit over the course of this episode. You could imagine him saying, let's take a break from them today after just you know having this whole conversation with uh, Harper. And he's just like, yeah, we're in, right? <laughs> Which, of course, sets Harper on a mission. 
<laughs> a mission here, which is just very entertaining to watch. I mean, but, it's consistent with his character. Yes, he doesn't yes. know how to say no to Cameron, yes, right? That's right. the reason they're on this whole trip to begin with, which Harper being the way she is, I can imagine she had complained about incessantly even before they even got on the plane. It's very consistent that he'd be this way, but he's really poking the bear. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, she has clearly reached her limit. The questions that she's asking are so pointed. And I have to say, yes. um, Cameron and Daphne handle it better than I probably would if someone yeah. was asking my husband these types of questions <laughs> right. at breakfast. There's so much happening here. And I also thought really fascinating and maybe kind of related to this scam idea, but not directly, is that Ethan's comment about mimetic yes. something or the other, right? That when someone is above your status, Mimetic you desire. want what mm -hmm. they want to. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. And, you know, with Cameron very bluntly saying, you know, you weren't above my status. Mm -hmm. And Ethan says, well, not then, which the implicit is like, but I am now. Right. So right. Um, very interesting exchange, I thought. Oh, yeah. That, that, this Their dynamic gets more and more confrontational and uh, mm -hmm. it's less on the surface but more antagonistic as the episode goes on, which makes me, once again, <laughs> have to revise that death list when you consider all this uh, this uh, animosity. I think in a way, right, this is Ethan taking out his hostility oh, on yeah. Cameron of like, mm -hmm. now you've caused this trouble between me and my wife because yep. of your stupid bro code and because you can't keep it in your pants. Mm -hmm. Part of it that and part of it probably decades long issues that they have had in their dynamic. Yeah, before we get into the, the meat of that conversation, which comes just a little bit later, just a couple of other mm -hmm. things happen in between. Mm -hmm. We see Valentina has moved Rocco away from the front desk. Uh, mm -hmm. And she has this, once again, this unrequited love with Isabella. But she may have another love interest by the end of this episode, or at least the quid pro quo of her own. But Mia's trying to work her way over to that piano. Mm -hmm. uh, we see also that while Lucia is out there, that Dom approaches her and mentions to her, do not tell Albie about our rendezvous. Uh, she already seems, based on what she said to Mia, to have some kind of design on Albie, but this interaction was ominous. The way he blows her off and the way she kind of responds with this kind of cold expression on her face, it makes me wonder, <clears throat> and I mentioned this last week as well, she might try to blackmail Dom, and she has her a, a target on her back <laughs> from multiple sides. I, I can imagine Albie losing his cool and accidentally injuring her. I could see Dom getting violent with her as well if she blackmails him and saying, I have your son wrapped around my finger and I could break his heart right now. You know, so I, I, this, this can get very ugly, basically. Yeah, there's a lot happening here. <laughs> a lot. Yes, a lot. Right. The dynamics here are very tense across the board, by the way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We see briefly also that uh, as Portia's getting ready to get on this yacht, that she runs into Albie. Albie's running back to his room. He has to run out to get the money to pay uh, Lucia and has actually told this to his dad. And that's part of the reason that triggered that whole interaction. I don't think that this is the last time they're going to see each other, to be honest, just the way that this scene is played out. But she says, I really did want to hang out, but I couldn't get away. <laughs> she couldn't get away because she was flirting with somebody else, by the really? way. Really? <laughs> mm -hmm. And she says, have a good life. And, but she still mm -hmm. seems awkward. There's like something unresolved here, not in the positive way. I think that maybe she is someone who is always kind of ruminating over things that she hasn't done. I mean, she's might not be making great choices right now as it is. <laughs> yeah. And of course, then that whole situation where we see Harper is on a mission to get drunk on this wine trip. She has a very, like you mentioned, this very, very awkward conversation where they're kind of egging her on, asking all of these different questions. 
Ethan finally is pushed to have a real reaction. Like you mentioned, he actually calls out the fact that maybe Cam just has this mimetic desire. He wants to hook up with the girls that Cam is interested in. I mean, that uh, Ethan is interested in. And that was always something that he saw. This is kind of toxic thing in Cam, which raises the question, why would you want to still be friends with this person? By the way, which is something that I've suspected from the very beginning, unless this is just a way to rub it in his face, right? Mm -hmm. Speaking of a mimetic desire, and I've actually suspected this even before he brought up the topic here, I think part of his attraction to Harper, and he's definitely been attracted to Harper earlier on, is the fact that it's what, he's one of those people that when someone doesn't like him, he wants to win them over. And that's part of what's happening here with Harper. But also I think it's part of this as well, that if Ethan's had something, he wants it to, right? So it's like a way to uh, compete for uh, that status. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, very uncomfortable conversation. Like you mentioned, first of all, he, she calls out the fact that they don't have a good sex life because Ethan's addicted to porn. And yes. then it may, and she also mentions that, did you ever used to watch each other have sex? And he goes, well, probably. No, we shared a room. She says, well, I guess old habits die hard, which of course is, wow, like really hitting this on I the mean, head. I <laughs> mean, that was so pointed. Yes. Up until then, it could have been played off as like, <laughs> right. oh, I had a bit to drink and right. whatever and some inappropriate conversation. But saying old habits die hard is saying <laughs> right. like you are still doing this now, exactly. like the other day. I and mean, did that's... you see Daphne's face? Daphne's, she has the sourpuss on her face where she's trying to skirt the topic, but she knows absolutely mm -hmm. she's mm -hmm. very uncomfortable and she knows exactly what she's talking about, which obviously who wouldn't, <laughs> who wouldn't? Mm -hmm. So it made me think old habits die hard. We did see Ethan watching Cam have sex and then this like addiction to porn. And I was thinking to myself, is he a voyeur? Is he going to watch Harper and Cam together? You know, and that might be the mm -hmm. perverse payoff of the dysfunctional, dysfunctional and functional relationship at the same time. Tanya uh, on the on the yacht, she wants the yacht to go faster. We see her bonding with Quentin. She's been bonding with Quentin multiple times here now. We see that Portia and uh, Jack are below boards the whole entire time. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, we have maybe some of the best scenes here in the episode are this interaction between the De Rossi men. We see Dom and Albie talking and he's warning him, you know, I'm not judging these women for what they do, but I'm looking out for you, which like a lot of things on this show, he's self-interested and actually giving his mm -hmm, son good advice mm -hmm. simultaneously. And also very interesting to have Bert just says it out loud saying, well, of course they're prostitutes, whatever else. And he's saying like, well, how do you know? And uh, he goes, well, you know, you could just tell. He almost uh, looks at Dom like he's almost going to out him, but he doesn't. And then I do like that he mentions, I can't be responsible for everything I say. I'm concussed because he fell down again. And now, once again, him falling down twice now makes me think that is he <laughs> on this mm, death list. He's going to fall mm -hmm. off a ship or something by the end of this whole thing. Did notice this is the second fall he's well. Was this a fall or was it just like he leaned over oh, and put his point. head into the nightstand? Yeah. But this is the second right. um, injury clumsiness incident of some sort. I mean, not necessarily clumsiness, but, you know, I, I assume age related, really. It's as if maybe be similar to last season as well, that they're developing the possible methods of death for each one of these. And it's like mm -hmm, each, mm -hmm. each character has a potential sure. death put on yes. their backs in this particular episode almost all of them not all of them. i agree once uh, quentin and his crew as along with uh, tanya and portia end up at this compound in palermo is this a palazzo what would they call this i don't know what this is called is it a villa i don't a know villa? i don't I, I have no idea <laughs> it's it's massive by the way Incredible. i don't know the difference between a villa and a palazzo <laughs> i, I haven't done my research on that <laughs> 
I didn't know either. I think they might, they might have called it. It does seem similar in style to the palazzo that Daphne and Harper yes. stayed in. So maybe yes. it is a palazzo. <laughs> she says, these are some high-end gays. <laughs> mm-hmm. But more importantly here in, in that comment is the fact that she says, it's good to be around with people yes. that have a lot of money because then you don't have to worry that they're after your money. Yeah. But that was like a giant red blinking light. <laughs> <laughs> that mm-hmm. I'm saying that once again, just like maybe Cam needs to score a big fish to keep his job. Maybe these guys or not. Maybe this is overt at this point. They need money to keep this thing afloat, this giant, lavish lifestyle, this beautiful palazzo. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of the Tanya character, yeah. but this was one of the few times that I did feel some sympathy for her mm-hmm. because this is what she constantly has to worry about anytime she interacts with anyone, right? Yeah. Because she does have so much money that, you know, whoever she's talking to, is there some sort of ulterior motive or are they genuine? Right, exactly. And that has to be exhausting on some level. I mean, you know, rich people problems, but still. <laughs> right, right. As night approaches, there's a few important things here. Lucia and Albie hang out again together. She's actually been hanging out with him during the day and tells him that she doesn't want his money. So what's the bigger play here? I, mean, we're, I think it's one of the mysteries here we may want to touch on by the end of the episode again. Uh, even though he says, well, you know, I'd love to spend another night with you, but I don't want to pay because I feel like I might be facilitating someone who might be taking advantage of you. <laughs> great, great response there. <laughs> Which- yes, very in character. Yeah, which is sincere and also, uh, you know, a, a way out of paying again. Yes. Uh, but also pushes the issue in her saying, well, I don't want your money, which A, might be true, but he's reading it like, I don't want your money because you really, really deep down inside are falling in love with me. But yes. I think she has a broader play. And of course, that's the question that remains to be uh, discovered here uh, in the next episode or so. I mean, we only have two left, so it's got to happen soon. Yes. Oh, I, I just go back to the Palazzo once again. I mean, this place is incredible how beautiful it mm-hmm. is. And also when they get to the opera house, uh, you know, he, she gets invited to go see Madame Butterfly that night. I mean, wow, Madame Butterfly. <laughs> like, I mean, of course, it's a very famous play or opera, I should say, but also ends with a suicide of this woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we also have that story earlier on about the death at this compound from the previous uh owner as well so just like a lot of foreboding here around everything related to tanya's story as if those tarot card readings wasn't explicit enough i did find this moment pretty funny where she's at the opera and she waves at the woman in the main booth and says is that the queen of sicily (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) but she does have a very tender moment during her reaction to the end of the opera and i think that was another moment where i felt uh, some sympathy for her as well yeah, and I have to say, after the Queen of Sicily comment, <laughs> they all exchange a look, right? Yes, that yes. Um, mm-hmm. I felt was very pointed and somewhat cruel in a way. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, yeah. That gives you some insight into what could be coming, yes. mood-wise, you know. Absolutely. When you see him, you know, goading her into believing that, and then having that little smirk. He's having a joke at her. And like you said, there's something cruel about it that we hadn't seen earlier. Just to say that he does not have her best interests at heart, big surprise there at this point. <laughs> of course, then that same night, all these folks are, once again, even though being in beautiful Sicily, they end up eating 
at the same place almost every single night, which unfortunately is kind of what happens at resorts. <laughs> you contemplate <laughs> going out and about, but probably 80% of the time you just eat your meals at the Well, at, the at least we, um, I know the last White Lotus was kind of a, a COVID situation, but at yeah. least we see everyone doing outings right. into the rest of Italy during this trip. Whereas, you know, in the first White Lotus, I was kind of like, come on, just drop a line that you went and saw some waterfalls or right, something like right. that. Yeah, good point. <laughs> because good when point. you're in such a beautiful place, you would have to go out and explore. So I appreciate that they've incorporated that into this year. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it probably was, it certainly was COVID related, but you, you're absolutely correct. There's no reason they can't say, we just came back from water skiing. Right, exactly. <laughs> what right. a great hike that was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, We went to the, the to see the volcano and we came back, right? Exactly. Like something. something. <laughs> so Cam makes eye contact with Lucia once again. There's this whole situation. We find out the remainder of what's owed is 1300 on top of the 1800 that he gave her last week. She does tell Albie that he owes her money. And then once again, there's this kind of stressful moment where uh, Cam says, first of all, don't make eye contact with me when I'm with my wife, which is so bizarre that, you know, like as if everybody's looking at him <laughs> trying to um, get money from him. Although, of course, he should be on hyper alert considering the whole situation that day was so tense with this revelation in general with Harper egging him on. I mean, why hasn't he paid her yet, though? Yeah, right? good point. Yeah. They, she'll be out the, of your hair, right? She'll be out of your hair. Right. Just I mean, he had the 1800 in his wallet. So it's not like he's cash poor, regardless of what these theories are, right? Right, right. He had 1800 on that day that he wasn't even expecting to run into a prostitute. Right. So what is the big deal? Why couldn't he walk into town and just get this lady, this, this lady off his back? I don't understand, but it, okay. And take an advance on his card or something. Anything. Yeah, something. <laughs> I mean, then again, this is less than a day later. So, you know, maybe, you know, obviously his wife showed up like he made just not a yeah, good time. You I know? Guess that's they true. went out to the wine. I mean, he could have stopped and hit an ATM. But I mean, how often do you do that? Yeah. But knowing that she's haunting him, basically, she's run into a multi he's run mm -hmm. into her multiple times now. He could just like get her out of her hair by giving her this money. She wants his phone number and everything. So, you know, he obviously is not going to do that. But I also start feeling like at that moment when she pushes him that he's not going to pay her at all. And that, once again, you know, Lucia may be unfortunately in the middle of mm -hmm. a lot of ugly dynamics here at the end. She may be the si sacrificial lamb of this season. Then Dom and Bert have a great interaction. It's very much on the nose. We've talked about like, what does these three men represent? These three generations of men. Oh, this is amazing. Yeah. And it's maybe a little too on the nose, I would say, but I don't care. It's great. <laughs> it's incredible. I agree. This uh, amazing, just laying it all out there. Bert is basically, which is what all our parents do, right? Like they, you know, we have inherited all their sins and then they look at us and be like, you're screwing up your kids, you know? <laughs> and it's like, yes, just like you screwed me up. Thank you very much. <laughs> hey. I am making efforts to screw my kid up in a completely different way <laughs> That's than right. I was screwed up. <laughs> There's always new ways to screw up your kids. <laughs> I think also a theme that's playing out here and in connection with the two couples, Dominic is telling his father, my mother was so unhappy. She knew everything yes. and mm -hmm. he's in denial yeah. about it. And in the end, Bert comes to the, I loved her and she loved me. Yes. What more yes. is there? Right. You know, the reason I am the way I am is because of you. You're blaming me for your situation? That's rich. Do you think you are so discreet? Do you? I mean, how many nights did I hear mom cry herself to sleep? Get real. Everybody knew, Dad. Oh. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. We had a great marriage. Oh, my God. You are deluded. 
You made her life hell my entire childhood. Do you have amnesia? If I made her life hell, why'd you stay with me? I have no idea. She didn't know any better. She was a, a martyr. I don't know. She loved me. She was a bitter woman. And she died a bitter woman. And she knew about everything you did. Believe me, you were just too self-involved to even notice that. Yeah, and you know what? I... I don't blame you for my situation, but I sure fucking could. Because you never showed me how to love a woman. You never showed me how to be intimate. You never showed me how to put others first. You always put yourself first, always. So I did the same thing. I loved your mother, and she loved me. It's not that simple. Yes, it is. Dominic saying sometimes love isn't enough, and right. Bert saying that it is. And I right. think like that's a very central dynamic that's playing out with those two couples, Daphne and Cam, she knows what he is doing, right? Right. And she's decided like, this is what I'm signing up for, for all of these reasons. And I think they do have a genuine love between them as mm -hmm. much as it might not be the love that lots of people want for themselves, but for them, it's working. And for them, that's enough. And then I think you see Ethan and Harper who maybe love each other, but they're just not making it work, right? Right. There's something that's not okay between them. Right. So I thought it was very interesting. Um, the conversation in itself, I think, is a very universal theme for all of us. And then also the applicability to this other couple, this other set of couples. Yeah. I mean, the name of this episode is That's Amore. And we actually see mm -hmm. this really great scene towards the end when Mia does get to play the piano. Right. And we intercut the different storylines. And I think that's the point that's being made, like to your point, and it's kind of in this conversation as well, love between two people could mean that you grow apart. We will be talking about that in greater detail in our conversation about the third episode of Fleischman is in Trouble, also in the same episode. So some of that is you grow apart, but you still love each other. Some of it is you love each other, but it doesn't work as a marriage. Some of it is you accept all the compromises you have to make to make the relationship work. And sometimes is the love is there is enough to get you through, right? Right. So, but it's not the same recipe for everybody. And that's kind of what's fascinating here about. Yes. It's not a declarative statement that right. this is how you do it. <laughs> exactly. I wish <laughs> it was that be, easy. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be different for everybody. And as we get to the uh, close to the end here, of course, Cam oh. can't help but be Cam <laughs> in the fact that they're having this whole conversation and they start saying, Hey, you know, you've been asking me questions all night. How mm -hmm. about, have you ever had a threesome? And he's, she mm -hmm. says, well, you know, I've had a threesome and uh, this is by the way, so offensive to me. And I knew they were going to say it before they even said it where she says, I had that threesome when she was in Sao Paulo and she was like in her twenties yeah. and they're like, was it your cousins? Because she had said that her cousins live in Sao Paulo. So of course it's like, that's the first thing they would say. I was like, they're going to say it. And then they said it. I was so, <laughs> I was so annoyed with them. I'm like, my God, of course, that's the, what they would say. Right. It's like, as if they're the only, you know, Hey, they're the only 
only time I've ever heard the name San Paolo before was in relation to her family. Oh, did you have a threesome with your family? It's like, oh, <laughs> so irritating. Okay. <laughs> Just for the sake of accuracy, I'm going to say, I think it was in San Juan with her oh, friend Paola. Yes. But yes, <laughs> yes point San... taken nonetheless. <laughs> I, I, yes, exactly. I'm sorry. I was thinking, I, naming Brazilian cities. But yes, I met Puerto Rico. <laughs> well, I met you Puerto... were so irritated by the whole thing, but it's just a, a blur. <laughs> exactly. I was. I was so irritated. But it gets worse than that because then she says this and this gets Cam all worked up and he like literally starts grabbing her leg under the table. Uh, it's pretty obvious to everybody who's sitting there what's happening. Ethan is giving them, you know, stink eye. Mm-hmm. And she is, she moves her leg a little bit, but she's teasingly just kind of just moving her leg out of reach, right? Or she's not, you know, she could easily, you know, say, hey, like stop that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that Cam is doing this with his wife there, seeing this happen, you know, and she's probably annoyed by this re- revelation from earlier, you know, doing this right in front of uh, Ethan. Ethan's watching this happen. And uh, she is kind of saying, all right, Ethan, let's see if I can get you going or, or <laughs> that's my read on it anyway. What, what was your read on this interaction? I thought back to the whole um, first episode, right? Where he undresses in front of her and just the continuing power dynamic that I think he's trying to establish. I don't know. I think he just doesn't know how to not be the alpha male. And right, he right. feels himself losing that stature for one reason or the other. Right. And he's trying mm-hmm. to reestablish it. It wasn't entirely clear to me if the others could see. I, I see it was clear to you, though. So right, maybe I right. missed something there. Because I thought if they couldn't see, maybe he was trying to get something going with Harper so mm-hmm. that he could have that over her. Yes. The way yes. she he knows she has something on him. And I think it really angers him that she has something on him. And I think he maybe, if they couldn't see it, is trying to calculate a plan where he has something in his pocket on her as well. Yeah, I, I agree with all those things. I think that part of it is just something he can't resist. Part of it is that he still wants to have this one-upmanship with Harper. He wants to win her over. And also with Ethan, right? This, this mimetic attraction, potentially. Oh, and as far as, I don't think that they're seeing him grab her leg, but he's obviously like physically moving close to her. So that in and of itself is- Okay. A, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Daphne seems to be looking kind of sideways, which is, seems to be like her response when he you know, becomes too cammy around her. But, but you see Ethan just staring her down, like, you know, and he's just really uncomfortable with this whole situation. So anyway, is she, they are both playing a game here. Uh, Cam's doing, or, or I should say, she's definitely playing a game. I think Cam is just like you said, just doing what he does. And, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. she is definitely escalating this intentionally as she has been all day, actually. So it's not like- She's reached her limit. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. Now she's going to burn it all down. There is that, I, I might've mentioned it already, but there is that very sweet scene where Tanya looks at Quentin during the opera and says, thank you, that she had this experience. Mm-hmm, He's mm-hmm. also very moved by the opera, but it seems to be that he uh, has very dark designs on her, actually. We'll, we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, I did want to call out one very brief, brief thing that when Jack and Portia are out and about the town, I did like the fact that he's like, well, what can we do now? We can go to 
the clubs, but they don't get going till 2 a.m., which is so true. When you're in Europe, mm-hmm. it's so funny. You like go to dinner and no one eats dinner until like 10 o'clock at night. And then mm-hmm. you have to go to like a, you know, Irish pub or something and listen to, you know, people playing Dire Straits covers and stuff for a couple of hours because the clubs don't even open till like one o'clock in the morning and they don't get going till like two o'clock in the morning. And everybody sleeps till God knows when. <laughs> but that's apparently mm-hmm. how it is in all these resort towns, I guess. And then, of course, he has to be transgressive. He like takes her out for a cheap dinner and doesn't even pay for it. <laughs> These uh, the best rice balls in all of uh, the world, mm-hmm. which might be speak to just him being a transgressive person in general. Then by the time we get to the end of this whole thing, oh, and then we have uh, speaking of Daphne and Harper once again, we have this really interesting interaction. Harper basically says, "How can you put up with this?" And Daphne says, "I have this." trainer that I spend most mm-hmm. of my time with. Cam's so busy. I spend all my time with this blonde haired, blue eyed trainer in the city. And she shows her her phone and it's a picture of her kids, her blonde haired, blue eyed son. And Harper's like, "Who? where's the trainer? And she goes, oh, I must have shown the wrong picture. How do you read this? I read this as saying like, I got what I wanted, which was this family and we have a relationship. And she seems a little angry at Harper at this moment, as in saying, this is our agreement. This is how it works with us. Don't rub my face in it. Is that how you read this as well? People on Twitter think that she was trying to say that these are her kids with the trainer. Oh, I, I did not read no. it that way. Same thing. At all. Same thing. Okay. I read it the way you read it. Yeah. That, well, I do think that there could be a trainer that she's sleeping with, first mm-hmm. of all, mm-hmm. because she says like, you do your thing to make yourself mm-hmm. feel better, you know, like right. do what you need to do to make it so that you don't have this resentment. Right. Right. Which again, may not be the healthiest approach, but it's working for them. Right. 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 So I think that there very well could be a real trainer that she is sleeping with right. when she feels like she has been wronged in some way um, or just for fun. But I think the showing the picture of the kids was really saying like, this is my life. This is what I'm here for. Like, this is what we have built. Like, I'm not interested in disrupting that. I have a very nice life. So just like stay out of it, right? Right. Is how I read it. Now, I do think it's confusing that she described the trainer as blonde hair and blue eyes and then shows a picture of her kid with blonde hair and blue eyes. And that's where I got caught up in this Twitter hole because (laughs) like, why not make the trainer tall, dark and handsome so that there could be no confusion about this issue. I also think the way she was talking about the trainer is the way you talk about your kid. Exactly. I thought the same thing. Blonde hair, big blue eyes, Mm -hmm. so sweet, very Mm -hmm. funny. Mm -hmm. Those are words you use to describe a toddler. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I agree with everything you just said. I think she may possibly be having an affair and that's where she gets her gratification in other ways or her revenge as well, because she knows that he probably, even as a cheater, still feels like he's losing status by her cheating on him. But more pointedly was that she's saying, this is what's at stake. I have this family. I have this money. I have this lifestyle. This is the agreement I have. And these are the kids. And this is where her satisfaction comes from, period. That's where it comes from. She's telling Harper that she needs to get a trainer if that's what she needs or have a kid with, uh, you know, they supposedly yes. trying to have a kid, then yes. move on with your life, find things that make you satisfied and yes. don't focus on this so much. It's basically what she's saying. Yes. Lucia and Albie have uh, a conversation. She runs into this guy, Alessio. I do not think he's a pimp. I think that he's probably just like uh, someone she hooked up with in the past, maybe an ex-boyfriend, et cetera. But she's playing it up, the whole pimp thing, because I think that's I agree part of the- mm-hmm. for me, 50-50, equally yeah. probable. Yes. I think they definitely want to leave that out there, but he just didn't seem like he's working the street as a pimp. He just seemed like kind of just some schmuck, right? 
It just seems strange, too, that this person's name has never come up until yes. now mm -hmm. right. when they've been talking about money and stuff like that. And then, of course, here's the dark twist here in the story. I think primarily, first of all, much darker than what happens in the last moments. Tanya, just thank you so much for giving me this beautiful day. Uh, you can't live in a more beautiful place than this. You've created this beautiful world to live in. And she goes, I live for beauty. And he says, but would you die for beauty? Mm -hmm. And I'm picturing, you know, he's been talking about the financial requirements to keep this place going. This whole entire you know, day is basically their whole entire conversation. And I think what he's trying to do is, and Jack even mentions that he is always hanging out with these old women that he picks mm -hmm. out at these resorts. And I feel like this is how he gets them to give them gifts, give them money, or hey, maybe give them part of their inheritance once they die. <laughs> Tragically, potentially. This It makes it sound like there's a risk here that these people are murderously going after these women. This story that he tells about falling in love with a man yes. from the American West is my mm -hmm. other Twitter revelation, Yes, um, which first I thought was the story of Brokeback Mountain. And <laughs> right. I wasn't sure if maybe he was just co-opting the plot of Brokeback <laughs> Mountain maybe. just to scam her somehow. On Twitter, there is a theory that the man is Greg. Tanya's yes, husband. I was trying to see is that it would the that map out and it has Greg set her up this whole entire time. And that's the conversation he was having, saying like, yes. she's clueless right now, et cetera. So, yes, I thought that that might be something that they're teasing here. I feel like that might be intentionally a red herring, like they're trying to set that mm -hmm, up there. Mm -hmm. But uh, but it would be fascinating if that is where this is all leading. That'd be pretty crazy. Yes. And that this is a plot to kill her. Yes. For her yep. money. Exactly. While he has the best alibi of being on another continent. Exactly. Exactly. Fascinating. Um, yeah. So that's all a very interesting potential twist here. And then we have Mia playing the piano. She has confronted Valentina earlier saying like, I know you're a lesbian. And if you really love women, why don't you help me support this woman? She lets her play the piano. She plays that Samore. And then we're intercutting these different interactions like we mentioned earlier. And then we end on the fact that Tanya wakes up in the middle of the night. She can't sleep. And she catches Jack and Quentin having sex. I had suspected for a while that Jack might mm -hmm. just be not really a relative, <laughs> but just mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, like their, their hired stud. Uh, and that was kind of uh, what it turned out to be. I mean, if there's something more nefarious going on, it could be that he's trying to distract Portia. Distract her. So she does. Exactly. So she might. Yeah. To keep Tanya yeah. on her own. Yes. Yes. Or it could just be like, hey, she's cute. I am tired of having sex with this older man. <laughs> right. <laughs> she's my age. <laughs> I would he like says that, right? That. He goes, it's nice to have him hang out with someone his own age. Right. He literally yes. says that at one point. So. It's pretty funny if you saw the interview afterwards with um, Cam and Daphne, where they basically lay out their relationship, like the interpretation you have of their relationship <laughs> explicitly there in that uh, yes. interview yes. as well. Then it was 10 years of small moments that added up to a lot. Rachel became more consumed by her drive for wealth and success until he didn't recognize her anymore. Or himself. Toby liked to say that the end of his marriage happened like the fall of Rome, slowly, then all at once. This was the night of all at once. All right, so Sona, you also have seen the third episode of Fleischman is in Trouble, the new series with, uh, this is Jesse Eisenberg and Claire Danes and Adam Brody and Lizzie Kaplan. Lizzie Kaplan, of course. Anyway, great cast based on this book. Just started last week on FX, three episodes in after a two-episode premiere. This show is executing at such a brilliant level, but this so is good. pretty 
but it is pretty painful as well, right? Like this is actually a pretty, you know, realistic portrayal, yeah. I think, of, you know, basically a midlife crisis of these uh, crises that that we all face. And I would also say, interestingly, that I had heard some early chatter about people saying, well, I can't really relate to these rich people. I find that in this particular episode, if that's probably probably why I enjoyed it so much more than even the first two, which were already excellent. But this is truly one of the best hours of TV I've seen in a very long time in the fact that it really is completely universal. It doesn't matter how much money you make. These are the types of issues we deal with in our friendships as we age, in our marriages, in our in our relationships of any kind as we age, our relationship with our children as well. I agree with you. But as you're saying that, something I'm wondering that we discussed before, I can't remember in what context. Sometimes you have to take into account the demographics of the person giving the review. Yes. And I feel like this is a very middle-aged yes. show. <laughs> I completely agree. Yes. <laughs> and so I could see someone younger, um, yep. I could see it not resonating for them because so many of these concepts would be theoretical. But in in practice, as you age, the things they're touching on are so universal that everyone will experience on some level or another. But if it's still hypothetical to you, yep. maybe it doesn't resonate the same way. I yep. mean, for me, as I texted you, I laughed, I cried, I went through the whole spectrum of emotions. <laughs> yes. in, in this, like, I, I don't know if it was an hour long or not, but they packed so much, so much. into mm -hmm. this one episode yep. um, that it was just like an entire, it was like a lifetime lived in yes. an hour, it felt mm -hmm. like. I completely agree. I well, I agree with both things you're about to say. What I was going to finish with uh, previously was exactly your point that as much as this show, to me personally, is like one of the best things I've seen in years. <laughs> this particular specific hour of show. But at the same time, I was going to say the exact same thing. If I was 25 years old, a 25 year old man, right. no less, right? I do not think I would have had much appeal in this show at all. And what it's showing is kind of bleak too, it right? Is. So, exactly. Yes. So I could also see being turned off because you don't want mm -hmm. to admit yes. that these are experiences you are going to have on some level, but I'm yep. sorry to tell you it's coming for you. And aging is <laughs> yes. a privilege. So this right. is, if you're lucky, you, you get to feel these things. <laughs> And what's interesting is I feel like that's all captured in this show. There is this admiration for those moments. So let's let, let's actually break it down a little bit. Uh, oh, and the second thing I was going to agree with, you know, beyond the, yes, the age, I think has a huge part uh, impact on how you appreciate this as a middle-aged person, as we are. I think that mm -hmm. we have, you know, this show has a huge amount of empathy towards us <laughs> specifically, maybe not so much for, you know, someone who's, you know, the age of the people in the flashback. Although I could imagine, I would hope, that if I was in the demographic of being someone in college, then this would be kind of an interesting time travel experiment to imagine myself being the person in the frat party, meeting this uh, love interest of mine, and then flash forwarding, you know, maybe cynically, possibly, you may read it as cynically, into this uh, 20 years into the future, or 15, I guess it would be approximately, into the future, and how much you've changed or maybe haven't changed uh, yeah, in the same I mean, ways. I have I have so much to say yes. on that topic, honestly, and like much of it very personal to me. And I try and make this not all about me, even though that's all my always my inclination <laughs> in life. But um, I think also it, it's kind of off-putting too, right? Yep. Of like, maybe despite your best efforts, this is how everything turns out. Yeah. So let me give you a very quick uh, recap in general. So we see Jesse Eisenberg playing Toby Fleischman in the earlier episodes. And by the way, this is, was my impression of what this book was about, was this middle-aged guy 
who's suddenly online dating and all of his sexploits. This was honestly what mm-hmm. I thought the show was about. And that was really, I mean, at least I don't know what the book is like specifically, but it was really only the first episode of the show that kind right. of primarily focused on that. Uh, in the second episode, in the midst of all this, and it's very funny, by the way, that is a very entertaining aspect of the show. His kids get dropped off and kind of throws a wrench into his new single life. His wife has dropped the kids off unceremoniously in the middle of the night, and he simply cannot get in touch with her. She supposedly is at this retreat and she can't he can't get through to her and then the cliffhanger at the end of that second episode is that someone has seen her in manhattan she has not responded to any of his texts not even texts from his daughter who just got a new cell phone she Mm -hmm. has completely shut them out and meanwhile when he just starts thinking oh my god maybe something terrible has happened he honestly couldn't even imagine that earlier and now he suddenly is accepting that that might be the case suddenly some of her friends run into him at a grocery store and uh, say, oh, I just saw her. She was taking a nap in Central Park. And he starts thinking, what? How is that possible? And that's where we pick up in this third episode where we see him with a <laughs> with, with that kind of bruised watermelon. Mm-hmm. How many times have we brought home that sad bruised watermelon? It's the only one left. The kids <laughs> want some watermelon for snack. Because <laughs> he couldn't think of anything else to, to buy. To in make a blur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he can't even remember getting home, which is, once again, pretty funny that we've all had that experience of, you know, being some fugue state caught up in some yes, personal drama absolutely. and forget how we ended up at a party or wherever we were in the, in the midst of all mm-hmm. that. He's gotten home. The big reveal here at the end is that after going through this amazing, which I think we're primarily going to discuss, this amazing flashback to the day he met his wife and really like their entire marriage up until that yeah. point. And he remembers a particular dinner where her friends were over and they asked if you could have a a hall pass, which is the name of the episode, by the way. I think it was free pass. Yeah, free pass. If you could have a free pass, which is the title of the episode, to have sex with any celebrity, who would it be? And they're all naming different celebrities. And she mentions one of her, is he a coworker or? Yeah, no context is ever really given, but she definitely missed the part where it's supposed to be a celebrity. <laughs> yes. And she seems embarrassed at the time. And he is fuming. It's such a great uh, Eisenberg's face. I mean, is just how dead awkward. Eyes yes. So <laughs> awkward. After having this public fight that everybody can hear them fighting in the kitchen. And that makes him think, wait a second. And he goes on Facebook and he finds out where this guy lives. And he realizes that he is just a five minute drive from this supposed yoga retreat she was on and he's like now i know where she is and that's the cliffhanger for next week i'm sure mm-hmm. he'll start that investigation now what's so great about this is that we get this new clue which gets the story moving in a different direction this is really incredibly well structured just from a storytelling cliffhangers that are dramatically compelling like little cliffhangers but beyond mm-hmm. that you're doing character development here as well and the primary thing i want to talk about is this incredible, like you mentioned, it's like a bottle episode of their entire relationship. Mm -hmm. And this is incredible to see really, once again, from the perspective of being a middle-aged person, of remembering who you were when you were younger and meeting someone and aspiring to be that person. But then for better or worse, we drift apart or we drift Mm -hmm. back into the people we were before. Sometimes that works in the context of a relationship. Sometimes it does not. And that's what this whole episode is about. And it's it's really an amazing uh, accomplishment. Considering the amount of time here, this was not a movie, right? Um, I feel mm-hmm. like it was a really beautifully told, very nuanced portrayal of what a relationship is, what a marriage is. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was in my 20s, a lot of people were getting married. I was talking with a girlfriend who had gotten married around the same time that I did. And I said, you know, my sense is that 
you can either grow apart or you yep. can grow together and you can only control which way it goes a right. certain amount and a certain amount right. is beyond our control. Right. And she was so unhappy with my statement, <laughs> right. but I stand by it. We can do a certain amount to nurture the relationship, but then a certain amount is just like where life takes you. And some people are just going to grow apart regardless. Right. Um, and it doesn't mean you didn't have a really deep love to start right. with. Right. Exactly. It's just where life takes you. What we're seeing here in Claire Dane's character is uh, very different than what Toby has. Toby has this very close relationship with his family. He travels to California weekly to have dinner with them, which kind of speaks to his privilege as well, by the way. And there's this really touching scene where she goes, well, what if something else is going on? Like uh, something important is happening. How could you make this dinner? And he turns to her and says, what could be more important than this? So I think he meant that Jewish people have the Shabbat dinner every Friday night, but I don't think he goes to California every Friday was how I, I took it. Oh, I thought they were actually traveling out there every single week. That seems like an impossible. I mean, <laughs> he's at NYU, right? I mean, just the time difference alone, but maybe. But she wants that. And we find out in her yes. backstory that she is an orphan and has this very sad only memory of her, of her mom. Yeah, that was really sad. I think that was the first time I cried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, understandably. <laughs> So you see, and we've all had these experiences before, if we're lucky enough to have been in love at some point in our lives, this kismet, right? This sudden connection with somebody, their story might be so different or sometimes so similar. It's kind of hard to explain exactly what causes these romantic relationships to um, form in the first place. But you see that there is this empathy growing between them. And he even says at one point, he's never spent so much time with someone and not gotten bored with them. <laughs> and it seems to be mm -hmm. like really opposites attracting and this is really open to discussion, maybe something we can discuss really briefly right here. It seems like she had this very single-minded, I never want to live this life again mindset. And I do think that he was kind of an, a way out of her current circumstance, but also a very different perspective from hers that she appreciated when she was younger. But then over time, it seems to be that she's getting pulled back in that direction. And, and a couple of mm -hmm. things I want to bring up that I think are really interesting. One is as playful as it is, even at the very beginning of their relationship, she keeps trying to push him to become a plastic surgeon or to yes. go into a career that pays more money because she's so fixated on money being some level of security because something she did not have when she was younger. The second part I found really fascinating was after she has the child and then all of a sudden she starts to, once again, I think people have these biases that you do what you really want to do and then you rationalize after the fact, which is my personal theory on life, by the way. So maybe I'm leaning into that. But I do find it interesting that she, in a way, cannot connect with her daughter after she has that child. And part of it is probably the baby blues, um, uh, postpartum depression. Uh, but some of it might just be innately in her mindset. She's afraid of being a bad mother. She had an absent mother. And then she starts to work really, really hard to build something of her own, which gives her personal pride. But then she rationalizes it as saying like, I'm doing this for them, which is something you hear. It's more of like a masculine trait, to be honest with you. But maybe that's stereotypical on my part as well, because I think it's very true to life that oftentimes you do things, you make a selfish decision, and then you try to rationalize it as being something that is uh, of benefit to someone else. I, I think- a, um, yeah, <laughs> Take either one of those right now. <laughs> I threw a yeah, lot of stuff out there. There's a lot. I will say on the the encouraging to be a plastic surgeon, one of her selling points was also you would have a very regular schedule. True, true. So I think she is trying to think about it, practically speaking, about what the future looks like. There are a lot of challenges to being a couple where two people have 
quote unquote big careers, yeah. right? Because at a certain point, something's got to give. And what is it going to be? Who is it going to be? Right, right. First of all, I want to say the postpartum depression thing is no joke, right? Probably of the women I know that become mothers, probably one third of them have told me they had some sort of postpartum depression. And those are just the ones that told me, okay? Right, right. And one thing that I thought was interesting is that, as you know, I had my child by using a gestational carrier. So I never carried a child. But when we showed up for his infant visits, you know, they tried to give me the postpartum depression questionnaire. And I said, oh, you know, I don't think I'm supposed to do this because I didn't birth this baby. And they said, no, we're finding that everybody needs to do it. So I think what had once been chalked up to as like the hormonal shifts causing some sort of depression I think now there is um, a movement toward understanding like, no, it's that your life gets turned upside down in a way that perhaps you had not understood was coming. (laughs) And um, that leads people to feel depressed, um, regardless of what's going on with their hormones, which I thought was really interesting. So I thought that was a very realistic portrayal. But I thought also what was very realistic is this idea that I think is very specific to our demographic of, um, you know, we're raised as women being told you can do anything, you can have anything. And what I read a few years ago, I always come back to is you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Right. And you can have anything, but you can't have everything. Right. Because life is a series of trade-offs and time is zero sum. And so where are you going to decide to spend it? And that's a decision that everybody has to make for themselves. Right. But I think she is having that frustration at realizing, okay, well, I wanted to be a mom. I have these two kids, but at what cost to my sense of self, at what cost to my profession, at what cost to my career success? And am I willing to pay those costs? And it's a very individualized calculus. You know, everybody's going to come down a different way. There are people that don't work at all because they think, no, you know, in my life, I want to know that I was home with these kids every minute. And there are people that think like, no, you know, I didn't go to school and spend all that money and do all these things and work so hard to now stay at home. No, like that's not what all this was for. Um, And it's such a complicated question. And I think that's part of what she's really struggling with is, you know, what she thought her life would look like and what she finds herself being able physically to do. Right. Because, again, like only 24 hours in a day. I feel sympathy for every character here. First of all, I you know we used to work in the city. I had the possibility of being in a career that I would have had to commit a lot more time to, like Toby mentions here briefly, to schmoozing with uh, coworkers Mm -hmm. and, you know, going out to the bars and drinking with the boss and all that stuff. And it could have been really good for my career. Simultaneously, my wife works in medicine. And it basically meant that there were many times when neither one of us was home to pick up our daughter. And, you know, that obviously became very complicated. And it was part of the reason I made some of the decisions I made, although we could have accommodated things in different ways. However, similar to where he's at, I was fine with making some of those compromises. But I do think that there can be some underlying resentments as well on both sides of that equation. Absolutely. Right. I find it's interesting that also what's happening, I think, there with Claire Dane's character, she is maybe having, now that we know this biography of her being um, abandoned by her mom or having lost her mom, that she may feel ill-equipped to do this. However, she feels satisfied and she feels 
successful when she is working. And of course, you're going to want to lean into the thing you feel you're doing well at and not the thing you're not doing well at. And then, of course, you're going to rationalize it as well. It's just such a completely understandable dynamic where, of course, you're going to lean into the thing that you think you're better at or the thing you feel has the highest value. That's not to say there won't be resentments there, even if you made this decision. As a matter of fact, this is a minor spoiler, but it's in the trailer. There's a great scene in this trailer uh, for this show where Lizzie Kaplan is talking about how she has lost her identity. She's telling her husband and her husband yells at her, you chose this, which once again, is probably speaking exactly to the same theme. I'm sure that'll be in an upcoming episode, but the idea that she probably quit her job to have these kids and live in the suburbs. And now she's like, I'm unsatisfied. And you know what? Like you said, unfortunately, there is no perfect answer to any of right. these problems, right? We are always making compromises every day, yes. every for every uh, moment of our, of our lives and our careers and in our relationships as well. And I think the show is doing a beautiful job of raising these often painful <laughs> realizations or revelations about our lives. But I love this show because I feel like it's an act of empathy for all of us out here who are Absolutely. You know, living our lives of quiet desperation. <laughs> and this show <laughs> sees us all and says, I see all of you and I appreciate all of you. And I say, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, it really, I think, was a very accurate portrayal of the struggles of this on, on every side. And yeah. I mean, there were times here that my heart really broke for Claire Danes because I yes. think, you know, mm -hmm. she had this picture in her mind of yep. what she wanted her life to look like. Right. And she created that picture and it wasn't how she thought it would be. And right. that scene, which I think it can happen for a thousand reasons that your baby is crying and then someone else holds them and they yep. stop crying. Right. But you can imagine how it would be like a knife to her heart at that yep. point to right. be like, look, I can't even do this. My baby would rather be with a stranger then be held by me like that's that's devastating when you're in that frame of mind you know in a different frame of mind you'd be like hey great she loves you fantastic no. <laughs> right which is more toby's perspective of right. like you're hired great <laughs> this works but um you can see for her how she's really struggling she's really really struggling Toby knows that things aren't right, though. Like there is this also very painful moment that what a painful episode for a mother who may have been through a lot of these circumstances to watch. There's that whole situation where he says there's where she says there's something wrong with my daughter because she's, you know, not smiling. And the nurse, yes. or the, oh the, my gosh, the yes. doctor says, well, they're they smiling is a mirroring. Uh, so yes. you, you have to smile at her to get and then which then she's like saying you need to see a therapist. And then of course she overcompensates later. She says, Oh my God, I've broken my daughter. She's heartbroken by this. And then of course, later she's like, we have to put our, our kid into, you know, some, which I've had this conversation with people, by the way, you have to spend some exorbitant amount of money. I know some of my mm -hmm. wife's uh, coworkers, uh, these doctors have spent something like 20, $30,000 a year to put these kids into these uh, prep schools at mm -hmm. kindergarten level, basically. Mm -hmm. And you're saying like, do you really think that the $30,000 pre-K or, or kindergarten class is somehow going to give them this huge leg up? I feel like oftentimes, not to generalize so much, but I feel especially with people who have these kind of careers that monopolize all their time, they feel like they have to spend this money since they're earning it 
and they're going to spend it on their kids because they feel guilty that, you know, maybe they're not spending enough time with them. And uh, honestly, you know, I, I kind of take Toby's perspective on this. What they really want is to spend time with you and, you know, you know, running around to another meeting to earn another hundred thousand dollars is not actually going to make them that happy when they're only four or five years old, because whatever you give them, they're pretty happy about. You know, so. Well, we are constantly having that conversation in my house. What I'm about to tell you, I say with a straight face, even <laughs> though it sounds insane, but it's about building a network <laughs> at five. Yes, yes, yes. It is. You put them around other people that have parents that are in places that you want your kid to have the opportunity to end up. And those relationships build over time through play dates, through being on teams together. And that will open doors for them decades later. Right, That's right. what you're paying for. But my question to you uh, with that as context is, even though I totally agree with that to some extent, don't you feel like she is absolutely saying, I want the kids to network and build these relationships now, but don't you think she's actually trying to build her network through these parents for her career ambitions? Don't you think so? Or I mean, both it things? certainly doesn't hurt. It seems to me like a much more finance-minded set than it does seem like an artsy set. Like they true, repeatedly true. talked about how she's doing marketing for small theaters or something right, like that, right. right? So, which seems like a much more creative type thing that like I would expect them actually to be downtown or in Tribeca. I think it's the type of people that she wants to be around for sure. Maybe because, you know, when you need to raise money for something. So I think, yeah, there is like that angle to it. But I also think everything she's saying is not a surprise to any Manhattan parent, regardless of their field. It's a very standard perspective here, True. regardless of what you do for work. Oh, I agree. And, and not only in Manhattan, I, I completely agree. And listen, and also like, my, as you know, as we were just discussing, my kid is in a public school. So even right, though... Right. I understand everything she's saying, and I agree with it to some extent. My kid is still in a public school. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm not saying I necessarily have bought into it wholesale. <laughs> right. At least not for $50,000 a year. Yes, some of these prices are. Yeah, exactly. Maybe at a lower price point. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say is before I disparage her too much, I did also find it very realistic and very true to my experience in life, seeing her as this young talent agent who's barely making any money at all and desperately like hustling. And, and you know, you've heard stories about this, like, for example, David Geffen, who discovered the Eagles playing at a bar and then, you know, eventually mm -hmm, you know, became one mm -hmm. of the biggest mu music moguls of all times, you know, with Elektra and the Geffen records. Mm -hmm. You see her in the same situation being in the streets, going to these dingy little theaters and what that life is. And then all of a sudden her being like, I want to be a multimillionaire running this giant agency and how far you go, but you're still that same person. It's a continuum, right? Of things. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and that just fascinating to really just see that all enca encapsulated in just a single uh, episode of television is a, a really incredible achievement. Like I said, I don't know how long the episode was, but it felt long to me in a good way. Yeah. That it was yeah. kind of just like they have packed so much in. And I also, by the way, love the running joke um, that is continuing here of like, oh, you're a doctor. That's nice for you. <laughs> yes. Over and over again. Yes, exactly. Which is so different, by the way, you know, even in a generation, how that yes. used to be like, oh, a so doctor. Ooh, exactly. doctor. Right? And like what, how that has completely reversed itself. Because now it's like, are you uh, a quant <laughs> on, um, you know, a... Uh, 
uh, on Wall Street making, you know, yeah. a million dollar salary. It's just like, yeah. oh, you're a doctor. Oh, come on. Like, that's that's the best mm. you could do. <laughs> that's hard work. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot of work for I mean, considering I mean, you, you do make all, almost everywhere in the country. You make pretty good salary as a doctor. My wife says this all the time. Like she thinks about like what what I make in IT as a salary. And she basically looks at me and thinks like about how utterly strenuous and you know life and death mm-hmm. daily her job is. And I'm like basically log into some meetings a few times yes, a day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we basically earn the same money. And she's like, "How did this happen?" It's <laughs> <laughs> the world we live in. <laughs> All right, I think we leave it there for now. All right, three That's more okay. episodes of White Lotus. Three more, and then we uh, we have plenty to talk about with Fleischman. So once White Lotus is over, I think we'll just keep talking about this. So. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later.